We are in the, uh, the book of Colossians, the second chapter of the book of Colossians. And uh, this series entitled, is entitled Christ Our Fullness. And we are speaking more specifically for the last few Sundays on the subject of the fullness of grace. We've seen in this uh, passage uh, that Paul uh, two times, verses 16 through 19, um, commands us to let no one uh, pass uncharitable judgment on us, to let no one uh, disqualify us, but that we are to realize in our lives uh, a good and godly growth by holding fast to the head, a good and godly growth uh, that is from God. So how do we grow as uh, Christians? We don't uh, grow as Christians according to certain rules or regulations. We don't grow by obedience. Obedience is the result of our growth. We hold fast to the head. Um, Nobody wants to be an overnight mushroom kind of Christian. Chelsea Draper told me, uh, and I have a cassette tape of it for some reason by my bed um, that, entitled an, an Overnight uh, Mushroom. She said it was her favorite message that I preached. I'd have to listen to it to remember it. But the idea is sometimes you can walk out on your lawn in the morning and overnight uh, a mushroom has sprouted up. It's almost like I should have stayed up to watch that. And uh, not all growth, probably those overnight mushrooms are not the edible kind, uh, not all growth indicates a, a growth that is from God. And so Paul is encouraging the Colossians to turn away from um, miracle grow, uh, to turn away from the overnight mushroom kind of growth, and instead... Uh, receive a growth that comes from God. So, as we've say, seen, uh, Paul's uh, message of the cosmic Christ in the first chapter of the book of Col- Colossians has definite uh, implications and has a definite application, uh, earthly application for you and I as believers. So when we come to verse 16 of chapter 2, Paul, as we've seen, speaking from his own Jewish background, but he's also uh, hinting at a kind of syncretism or mixture uh, of beliefs that is evident in the false teaching, uh, the false teachers that were trying to infiltrate uh, the church at Colossae. Barclay says this passage has certain basic Gnostic ideas intertwined all through it. We'll take a look at one this morning uh, when Paul mentions in verse 18 when he uses the phrase, the worship of angels. So there's a certain Gnostic ideas intertwined all through it. Uh, Paul is warning the Colossians not to adopt these Gnostic practices on the grounds that to do so 
would be not to make progress, not to grow with a growth that is from God, but actually uh, to retrogress. So we, we might spend just a few minutes here this morning um, going crawling back up into chapter 2 and seeing what this false teaching actually was. We see in verse 3 of chapter 2 that Paul says he's worried that the Colossians might be deluded. You see the end of verse 3. Uh, excuse me, that's... The end of verse 4, uh, they might be deluded with plausible arguments. And he's spoken specifically of uh, a certain philosophy that was uh, gaining entrance into the church at Colossae. Hendrickson says, in line with what he had been saying with respect to the uh, persuasive arguments in verse 3, uh, philosophy, empty deceit, man-made tradition, and worldly rudiments. Again, if you look in verse 8 of chapter 2, see to it that no one, and here we have that uh, universal uh, negation, uh, no one means no one, see to it that no one uses the phrase again in verse 16 and verse 18 of chapter 2, let no one, let no one, see to it that no one, verse 8, takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to, the, to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. So in the phrase human tradition, we can see uh, Paul's experience as a Jew of feeding that phrase, human tradition. He could look back at his own life and see what uh, that tradition had made the word, word of God of none effect in the life of Israel. We heard it, we heard it in Jeremiah's uh, call this morning in chapter 18 to turn and to repent. Then he brings up that um, uh, enigmatic phrase, which is in trans translated in the ESV, the elemental spirits of the world, stoicheia. And there's a great deal of commentary about what this means. He mentions it, it again, we haven't got there yet, in verse 20 of chapter 2, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. So there's something going on in Colossae that is not an exclusive uh, Jewish heresy. For example, the book of Galatians, uh, Paul comes out against the dogs of cutting, the dogs of concision. And there he is most definitely uh, speaking about um, the, those quote-unquote Jewish Christians who were following him around saying, Paul's a wonderful fellow, preaches the gospel, but you know that he believes that you should be circumcised. And uh, Paul is dealing with that uh, in the book of Galatians. But in Colossae, what we have is this syncretistic, this kind of mix of not only uh, Jewish tradition, 
but also something else, uh, something mystical, something otherworldly. If you think at night that the only entertainment you had in the ancient world, well, it wasn't the only entertainment, but if you lived out in the country, Uh, The only entertainment available, there's no TV, there's no internet, there's no cell phones, there are no cars. People would often be born and die within a few miles of of where they were born. Um, It's no wonder, uh, no city lights, uh, no... uh, no Tokyo, no New York City. Uh, and if you went outside, the sky, if you've ever been out in the country, get away from St. Louis, and you look up at the night sky, you're like, I never knew that was all there. And the ancients knew uh, the night sky like the back, like you know your best soap opera. They knew all the players, all the actors. Uh, when a certain constellation or, you know, we, we look up when I was a kid at night, I can remember going into the house and I would always look up and see if I could find the Big Dipper. That's the only thing that I knew. And it seemed reassuring to me before I went in the house uh, that I recognized in the heavens this Somebody had to point it out to me, but once you see it, you can't stop seeing it, right? The North Star. Um, Occasionally, we'll see, what is it, the redness of Mars or the redness of Jupiter or the bigness of Jupiter. Uh, And you think that there is no one to, um, there there were certain uh, Greek philosophers who were into astrology and astronomy and the ancients uh you could imagine um getting on a boat on one island and then being able to navigate to another island hundreds of miles away simply by how many know you would have this was their gps you would have to know the sky very well. And the ancients had this inherent belief that those, you know, we we think of the nursery song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Uh, What's the next line? How I wonder, is it what you are or where you are? How I wonder what you are. And the ancients, uh, that was their song. When they looked up and they saw the stars twinkling, they believed that, uh, as as we, as some people believe, that there must be life in, in the universe out there somewhere. Uh, they believed that those twinkling stars represented uh, spirits, and that those spirits uh, somehow uh, controlled. Uh, life on earth and their destiny. And so that's the background to this phrase that he uses in verse uh, 8, elemental spirits of the world, and then once again in, in verse 20. So I say all that to say that we not only have a, a, 
a Jewish-informed tradition that Paul is working from here, but we also have something else. Um, and remember, the further you get from Jerusalem, the more likely you are to be exposed to other people's belief systems. And you kind of, it's kind of like your do-it-yourself church. How relevant is that for us uh, today? It's like uh, an, an eclectic mix. I'll, pick, I'll, I'll have a little bit of this, I'll have a little bit of that. I'll have a, it always, I, I never go into Starbucks because I'm always intimidated by the people who say, um, I, I just, I, I go in and I say, I want a small coffee. And they say, oh, you want a grande. Is that, a, is that what it is? Sure. Yeah, but that's, is that McDonald's or is that Starbucks? Oh, it is Starbucks. So Starbucks, the great idol of the age. Um, he, I did buy a strawberry milkshake at High Point the other day for $5.50. And it wasn't $5.50 worth. So I don't know what it costs. Uh, what's a Starbucks cost? You don't know what a Starbucks costs? Somebody else bought it for you? Oh. <laughs> I don't buy it, I just drink it? Is that what it is? <laughs> Oh, that's a regular, a tall pumpkin spice. Okay, so I'm always intimidated by the people who are regulars at Starbucks and they're in the line already and I'm there like, you know, all I want is a small black coffee and you can't order it that way, right? So you, you have this uh, a specific uh, uh, retinue that you have to go through. Um, I don't know how I got on, on all that, but it'll come back to me and I'll, I will remind you. Uh, syncretism. Um, so, look, look, let's get back to uh, Hendrickson. So in line uh, with what he had been saying with respect to the persuasive argumentation in verse 3 of chapter 2, philosophy, empty deceit, man-made tradition, and worldly rudiments in verse 8 that characterize the thinking and propaganda of the false teachers and the requirements of the law. Again, if you look in verse 14, Paul says by... On the cross, Christ canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand. So there is no doubt uh, that what we have here is this kind of admixture of Jewish teaching and something else that was going on in Colossae. So Hendrickson says, uh, we know this for sure, that the Jewish aspect of the Colossian heresy stands out clearly here, and then he goes on to say, nevertheless, it is also evident that the error went beyond that mixture of Jewish religion and Christianity. So there's something else that is going on in Colossae. What it is, uh, we're not entirely sure of. We have the text. We don't even know uh, 
in Paul's writings, whether Paul, whether he's in prison now or whether he's in Ephesus, whether he's under house arrest, we don't know that Paul is entirely in, well informed about what is going on in Colossae. Hendrickson's translation of uh, verse 16, let no ritualist tell you since you Colossians are not following my rules and regulations, you are not in the race or contest at all. You are unfit, unworthy. And he uses the Y space, O space, U space, uh, to signify the plural. And Paul says you, you can't let the ritualists uh, disqualify you in this sense. Whatever's going on here, whether it's a mixture of uh, Jewish heresy, uh, New Age ideas, Gnostic ideas that are being uh, mixed together in um, a delightful and seductive recipe, you can't uh, let this happen to you. You have to hold on to the cosmic Christ, to the head of the body, and make sure that your growth is connected, has, uh, is the result of a vital connection with Christ. Uh, look at verse 18. Before we get, uh, we looked at asceticism the last couple of weeks. Before we uh, try to begin to understand the worship of angels, but look what uh, he says after that, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. I- I'm not sure that there's uh, any other writing in the New Testament that comes close to the, to the strangeness of this verse. Going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason, by his sensuous mind. Uh, Barkoy said, his translation of that phrase, making a parade of the things which he has seen. Making a parade of the things which he has seen. He's definitely talking, uh, he could be talking about Jewish mysticism. He could also be talking about um, Gnosticism, the Gnostics, of course, believed that they had received a revelation from uh, God. And if you didn't subscribe to this fresh word, this new word that they had received from God, then you weren't as enlightened as they are. We, we see the American church, by and large, uh, has surrendered itself to this kind of Gnosticism. Um, people... <laughs> You know, you, you folks are gluttons for punishment here. What, um, what determines what is taught and what is preached uh, in the covenant community is governed by the text. And it can be at times, um, I, I've thought about our slog through Colossians, name a million and one other books in the Bible, it can be at times uh, pretty boring. 
uh, the Gnostic Church in America, otherwise known as the Popular Church in America, has given up on that. And now they it's a dog and pony show, a three-ring circus every Sunday, just to keep people interested. So if the, past, the pastor has to have a fresh word, uh, the pastor has to have, he has to be a mystic to some degree, he has to have a prophetic vision. Uh, we, we heard the phrase, a rhema word. That means uh, not just the word, uh, black and white before us on the text, is not enough. It's got to be something, you know, because that's, that's not enough. It's got to be something that's boosted. Um, and this, this kind of diet has created um, uh, addicts for the next high in, in the popular church in America. We have no patience, no time for line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, you see. Here a little, there a little. Not here, not a lot all the time. Here a little, there a little. And you've heard me say this over and over again. I would, I would rather have 51 Sundays where we're just like, like today, we're just looking at the text where we might have an aha moment. We might have a ha-ha moment. We might have no moment at all. We might say... You know, a church was okay today. It was fine. But if you come under the rubric that says every Sunday has to be a lot here, a lot there, you will eventually run out of uh, the, the strength and the ability to do that. We, we have gifted people who have placed themselves in positions of leadership in the church um, but we don't, we cannot separate their giftedness and separate it from God speaking to us. We heard God speaking to us through Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 18. I'm the potter. You're the clay. How on, you know what? There, there is one text in the book of Jeremiah. I know the plans that I have devised for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. That's the only text that is worth preaching in the Gnostic popular church in America today. Because people have these kind of ears that have to be scratched by what is said. And if you deviate from that, then the nickels and noses go somewhere else. Uh, we, we are victimized in, in the church of Jesus Christ today by hirelings and false prophets. People are victimized. Milton said, the hungry sheep, sheep look up and they are not fed. So how many times, what's your, what's your worst food? What, what, if somebody throw out, what, what's the food that you hate? What? Spinach. Did your mother ever say to you, Reg, Reg, eat your spinach? Because she, you don't really. Okay, we got spinach. Who likes, uh, name another food you hate. Liver. 
Chris, Christy's dad didn't like peas. Is that right? Green peas. I like I like peas in that uh, sauce with those little bit of, bitty onions. It's cream sauce with a little bit of onion. Do I ever get it? No. But sometimes, uh, if, if you were raised, uh, if you're a baby boomer, you, you heard at the table, I don't care if you like it or not. The Bible says to eat what's set before you. This is what's set before you. And if you want to go to bed tonight, anytime soon, you're going to finish, you're going to clean your plate off. Now, I know today, in today's culture, we're like, that's abuse. But I, frankly, I'd be a lot better off today if I ate more spinach than I did the things that I liked. Our diet in the church is not determined by our likes. Our diet is determined by what is, what is necessary, what is good for us. I'll get off that soapbox. But making a parade of the things he's seen. So uh, the other night, I think it was, what's today, Sunday? <laughs> Today's Sunday. I think it was Friday night. I had a dream. And if you follow me on Facebook, occasionally when I have a dream and I think it's significant, I might say something about it. I didn't say anything about this because it was just too alarming. But I had a dream, it was a dream, I was asleep, and I was standing on the parking lot over by the dumpster. And I don't know what it was that I was doing, I guess I was weed eating, you know, that's the only reason I'd be over it, or maybe I took the garbage out. And I looked up over the neighbor's house, the sky, and I saw this small, short-winged aircraft flying very low, very slow, and I look at it, just, just barely over the tops of the trees. And I'm like, that is so strange. Have you ever had a dream where you just felt like it, it, was, it was real, like it was happening? And then my gaze turned over this way, uh, like north, north, northwest, and I looked up higher and I saw a Russian, uh, well, I would have called it a, a MiG flying. And it, it was going very fast and much higher. Isn't it strange how in your dreams you say, what did you eat on, on Thursday night or Friday night? It's a legitimate point. Uh, and then as I watched it go over this way, I turned back and I saw, can you imagine that I actually could recognize the planes? I saw a B-1 bomber and it was going very, very slow and so close to the earth that my... Um, my only conclusion was it's, it's going to crash. And before it did, I turned back like to the dumpster and there are three men in camouflage uniforms with guns and caps. 
beards, guns. And I look at them and I say, what's going on? They, and they were totally disinterested. Like, I did not represent a threat to them. And they were concerned with what something had spilled on the parking lot. And then I had this overwhelming feeling, I'm gonna, they're going to kill me. I'm going to be shot. And that's when I woke up. Now, let me tell you, I could fill a church on that vision, that dream. We could go, we could go a long ways on, on a dream like that. We, we could bring revival to Belfont neighbors if, if, if we wanted to really juice that thing up. America needs to turn to God. The end, of, the end of America is coming. America is the greatest military uh, force in the world. Its days are numbers. In fact, I'm tempted to go there this morning and just have an altar call and sing, Are You Ready? Are you ready for the judgment day? Now, do I think that that um, dream is from God? I don't know the answer to that question. I know that in the Bible, it seems that God spoke to men through dreams. So I'm not saying that it's not. But I don't have the ability to infallibly discern um, Many, a few years ago, I had a dream where I was driving, I was south of St. Louis and I was driving in a car and it was at night and I saw this huge nuclear explosion somewhere north of me. I assumed it was St. Louis. Those kind of things kind of stick with you. I, I had a dream one time where uh, the the... China sent its army to this country because we were involved in, in such a conflagration um, that they, they had come to rescue us as Americans. You say, Pastor Allen, what are you smoking? <laughs> if you aren't smoking something, maybe you should start, kind of chill out a little bit. But, but you see, in the popular church in America day, today, those things are, without any filter today, are introduced as our pastor has had a word from the Lord. We have, uh, the, the New Testament, we have a more sure word of prophecy. What is the more sure word of prophecy? It's the, it's the Bible that we have in front of us. I'm not opposed to, there's always been prophecy teachers and there's always been chart teachers 
and there's always been a certain eschatology, but we've we've never different types of eschatology, but we've never uh, made uh, eschatology what what you believed about the end times as a a necessary prerequisite. When I tell people that you know I don't I I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Dispensationalism is one way of uh, looking at the Bible. Uh, but I don't know about all this stuff about the tribulation and and uh, all of this. Um, you know, there's different. Do you, are you aware that there's different way people have interpreted the Book of Revelation in different ways? And people just look at me like, "Oh my God, he is he's backslidden. He no longer believes the Bible. What happened?" What what went wrong? How can he abandon? I, I have people that I went to school with. How can you abandon the apostolic truth? And I'm like, well, what's your definition of apostolic? The word apostolic was being used uh, a long time before the quote-unquote apostolic showed up at the turn of the century. making a parade of the things which he has seen. So uh, Barclay says, uh, there are the Gnostic special visions. The Gnostic prided himself upon special visions of secret things which were not open to the eyes of ordinary men and women. So Barclay goes on to say, no one will deny the visions of the mystics. I don't know about that. we, we have in, in the extreme fundamentalist, hyper-fundamentalism where they worship the Bible, bibliolatry, um, they, they, may, they may do exactly what uh, uh, Barclay says they won't do. Trust me, there, there's something there. There's something... You know, in, in the dreams that I've had over the years, there's something there. Um, what it is exactly, I don't know. We look through a glass darkly. Every so often, the veil that separates between this life and the next life grow, grows thin. Or it gets so dark on this side of the veil, and it, it gets brighter on the other side of the veil, that we start to make out, uh, men like trees, trees like men walking, or men like trees walking. We we see something, but we our ability to discern or interpret is not one hundred percent. And people need to hear that. They need to hear. I don't know if this is from God or not. I don't know if this is for you. I'm not sure about this because uh, the teacher, the preacher, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist is not, uh, there's only one who's infallible and the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's not me. So he says, no one will deny the visions of the mystics. I think when, when I read that phrase, I think about John Donne who uh, 
who preached at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. He was traveling on the continent. His wife was at home in London. She was pregnant. She was having a difficult, um, they were anticipating a difficult birth. And he's sitting in a house and he doesn't know that his, his wife has given birth and the child's died. He doesn't know that because he doesn't have instant communication. But his testimony is when he was sitting in the house, he saw his wife walk through the room with a baby in her arms, a dead child in her arms. And then the news came the next day. Child has died. How do we explain that? Okay, so we don't have an explanation for that. How do we explain the what is what she called the Long Island, um, you know, the Long Island, uh, what? The medium. You know, she calls out, I, I've had people say, what do you think about that? I went to one of her meetings, she called, a, you know, I stood up and, and she told me everything that was going on. I said, I don't have an explanation for it. I, I don't understand that. There's a, there's a couple of different choices there, and I don't know which side of the divide it falls on, but I... I, I you have to be careful, but I don't know what's going on. I don't have the answer for that. I can speculate. I have an opinion. I can pass judgment, but there's something there. But these are not to be the focus, Paul is saying. These are not to be the focus. They can be, they can be manipulated and use for a person's own self-gratification. So, Barclay says, uh, no one will deny the visions of the mystics, but there's always danger when a man begins to think that he's attained a height of holiness, which enables him to see what common men, as he calls them, cannot see. And the danger is that men will uh, so often see not what God sends them, but what they want to see. All right, uh, just a few more minutes. Uh, Look at this phrase uh, once again in Colossians chapter 2, where Paul speaks of the worship of angels. Or the veneration of angels. Paul, in this epistle, constantly emphasizes Christ's preeminence above all creatures, including the angels. So so look just quickly with me in your Bible and we'll be done. Uh, Look in chapter 1, verse 16, For by him, speaking of Christ, for by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things 
consist or hold together. Look in verse 20. Verse 19, for him, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by, in case you're, you don't understand who the he is in these verses, uh, Paul uh, tells us, making peace by the blood of his cross. We see it again in verse uh, 9 of chapter 2, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then verse 15, that uh, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So Paul in this epistle constantly emphasizes Christ's preeminence above all creatures, including the angels, and that he says, of the angels seems to indicate that he was combating angel worship. So there are some people who say the phrase, the worship of angels might be better understood, worshiping with the angels. Uh, that seems to be a, a, a later interpretation, uh, but the abundance of um, commentaries or scholarly conclusion on this is that Paul is combating the worship of angels. The Synod of Laodicea in AD 363, which is Laodicea and Colossae were like twin cities. It is not right for Christians to abandon the church of God and go away to invoke angels. We, we won't take the time. We'll pick up on this, Lord willing, next week. Um, but there are times in the book of Revelation where the revelator is uh, tempted to worship the messengers, tempted to worship the, the angel messenger. And the angel has to say, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm a created being just like you are. I'm not worthy of worship. Reserve your worship for uh, God and God alone. Uh, look with me. At, in the book of Hebrews, because this is something that we don't, one of Billy Graham's books that he wrote uh, many years ago was entitled Angels, because there was so much interest in the body of Christ at that time about angels as ministering spirits, which the writer of the book of Hebrews mentions that at the end of chapter one, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit inherit salvation. Uh, the book of Hebrews has as its focus the preeminence of Christ, much like the book of Colossians. And in the first chapter, after the writer tells us who Christ is, look, look with uh, me. Long ago, and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is, this is a beautiful description of the Son. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, by all things, all things consist because of him. After making 
purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become, look at it, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? You can read through the rest of the first chapter of the book of Hebrews. It's interesting to me that the writer, he takes on this Gnostic heresy right at uh, the beginning. Christ is better than the angels. Now, you say, well, I I never thought that angels were better than Christ. Well, um, in the in the ancient world, you see, this was a temptation. It is not right for Christians to abandon the church of God and go away to invoke angels. So, for example, so I'll, I'll end with this, a, a couple of examples of how this enters into the church and we don't really, we don't even really uh, perceive it. I, I heard a well-respected minister, someone that I knew many years ago, and, and uh, knew him quite well. His belief is that every human being has an angel that looks exactly like them. And his justification for this belief is prefaced by this phrase, the, the Jews believed. The Jews believed, the, Jews, the Jewish rabbis taught that every human being has an angel that looks just like them. And then he goes on, on, on the basis of that, so people are saying, oh, the Jews taught that. Well, the Jews are God's, God's people, so the Jews, you know, this is significant that the Jews believe this. First of all, when the temple was destroyed, there is no high priest any longer. There is no 70, right? The, uh, the ruling magisterium. There is no central focus. There, there is no, uh, uh, no high priest or magisterium to appeal to. And so the Jews were scattered all over uh, the, the Western world. And they developed, like in Colossae, they developed their own kind of syncretistic belief systems. There was no Pope to appeal to. There was no college of cardinals to appeal to and say, you know, this is what, this is what pastor's teaching. Is this right or is this wrong? And so when you say the Jews believed, uh, each, often what you would run into is kind of a hodgepodge of local syncretism that had developed. There's a... There's all kinds of teachings that come under the heading of the Jews believed. So he says, you know, the Jews believed that every human being has an angel that looks just like them. He says, I was preaching somewhere and at the end of the service, he said, someone told me that they saw my angel who looked exactly like me on the platform with me. And everybody goes, ooh. Ooh. 
So when we're presented with those kind of qualifications, this, this person is, is, is on Facebook, and he, can I say this? He puts up the most mundane sayings, and they are instantly shared by three or 400 people. Because, you see, he's a man of God. There is a teaching now that is gaining popularity that says the pastor of your church is an angel. And they base this on the first and second chapters of the book of Revelation, where the, uh, God's message to the seven churches of Asia Minor to the angel of the church. And they say angel means messenger. Um, so that meant to the pastor of the church. Well, I, yeah, I guess we could talk about that. I don't, I don't necessarily disagree with that. But the, oh, let me say this this morning. Your pastor is not an angel. And if you treat your pastor like an angel, you're going to get into trouble. He, uh, you know, Paul says, follow me. Take, you know, how many followers did Paul have? In social media, this is really a big deal right now. Oh, uh, I got thousands of people following me. I'm making money. They're following me. Paul didn't say, just follow me. What did he say? That's the social part of it. And the church is a polis, a community. We're people, we have opinions. We talk, we gossip, we gab. It's what we do. That's what people do. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. <laughs> so you're only obligated to follow me to the degree that I follow Christ. And when we have pastors and churches who believe that their word is infallible, uh, that you better do, you know, I hear this over and over again. Well, if you're going to go to that church, you know, you're going to have to submit yourself to the, the teaching of that pastor. He's the angel of that church. And I'm like, blah, blah, you know, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to slap people. It's like, straighten up. Do, do, you, do you hear what you're saying? Pastors sometimes say, and I understand why they say it. I've a, been a pastor a long time. Every time the doors of the church are open, you should be here. As much as I would like to find the verse of Scripture that says that, we kind of see that in, you know, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. But I, I don't know what forsakenness means it's behind you. You, you, don't, you don't show up at all. Is, we, we, have, we, we say... We're not Catholic. We, we say we're against the papal system. We're anti-papists. 
But then we treat the, the pastor like, and I'm not doing myself any favors this morning. We treat the pastor like they're little demigods. I don't know if I have an angel that looks exactly like me. That's awful to think about that, isn't it? But you see how we get, we get seduced into the Colossian heresy a little bit. And then we, get, we, want, we want things to happen in church. We want, we want things, we want to know that we're growing no matter what it takes to grow. And what, what we're, our growth in Christ is to be a natural response to a healthy connection with the head of the church. Oh, I've meddled enough. Thank you, Father. Help us as we make our way through this world below. Help us to use the brain that you gave us. Uh, yes, we believe by reason of the fall that our reasoning is not uh, infallible. It is subject to error. And this should invite us to be even more cautious, Father, more discerning, more led by the Spirit, more desires to have our hearts. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's a dangerous age in which we live, Father. We don't know. It seems as though the end of the age is upon us. Unless in your great love and mercy, Father, you send a heavenly move amongst us. We heard it from the prophet Jeremiah. It is possible that you've devised plans for us. The clay in your hands is so marred, so incapable of being redeemed that you have to refashion it into something else. What we think are the unchangeable plans and purposes of God, but clay in the potter's hands can become the vessel and will become the vessel that he designs. Help us not to have this kind of puffed up mind, this always clamoring for the sensuous, always dipping into the otherworldly. Help us to read, to understand that our hearts so inflamed by the Holy Spirit might in fact find their focus in you and you alone. We ask it in Jesus' name.